0: Um, open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to 1 John, chapter 1. It's a little book towards the back of your Bible. Go to the back of the Bible and back up five books and you'll find 1 John. While you're turning there, the way I typically do it is... is uh, I want to give you an illustration. and The illustration... Where this particular word comes from, once again, me being a kid, and as, I, as I illustrate the sermon, and I came up with this story to illustrate, it reminds me that I use a lot of kid stories when I preach my kid stories, and so it reminds me that I, for one, was born a sinner, <laughs> because I was an ornery kid. And it also reminds me that Jesus has redeemed me from all of that, and I thank Jesus for it. Praise God for it. So anyway, today I want to tell you about um, uh, about a time when I was about five years old, and, and, and my dad would take me and typically some other guy, and we would go to the Gila Wilderness. We, we grew up in New Mexico. And we—this was back in the days, way before they had all this fancy backpacking equipment. Now, what we had was we had military surplus stuff from World War II, and so we had a pack burro. His name was Fuzz, and Fuzz was kept out on a ranch in southern New Mexico. And we would go out in a Willis pickup, a Willis cheap pickup truck, little thing, and we would go find Fuzz, and we would get him to come by holding out. Um, sugar cubes, Fuzz would come, we'd load him up in the back of the truck, and Fuzz knew that he was going to work in the Gila And I knew that I was going to the back of the pickup truck to ride with Fuzz. So I'm about five years old, and we're taken out from Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Fuzz and I were really tight because we spent all of our time in the back of that pickup truck together. We, we grew close, me and Fuzz, the burrow. So We would go through Dimmy, New Mexico, and at the time, Dimmy, New Mexico only had one traffic light, and at the traffic light, there was a Rexall drugstore. And Fuzz, we'd pull up to that traffic light before we made a turn north to go into the Gila, and Fuzz, this was always true, Fuzz would look over at that Rexall drugstore, and he knew he was going to work, and he knew what that meant, and he would start raising head, I mean, he would bellow, until we stopped at the Rexall drugstore and bought Fuzz, a Baby Ruth candy bar. I'm serious. And it was good for me, because I'm riding in the truck back of the truck with Fuzz. So my dad would go in, buy Fuzz, a Baby Ruth candy bar, and I would get one too. And we would sit there in the back of that truck going up into the Gila, and we would eat our Baby Ruths together. And then we would get to the Gila, we would load Fuzz up with all that military surplus equipment, heavy as heck, and we would head off. And so when we got into the Gila on this one trip, I was always, I I never knew what I was thinking about. I mean, I, I look back on this, I'm like, what the heck was I thinking about? This particular trip, we get up into the Gila, and my dad has one of those, I don't know if you all remember him, but he's got one of those old brownie cameras little black square the cubicle thing. And so I find my dad's brownie camera that he's got film loaded in to take pictures of this trip in the Gila that we're, that we're on. And I'm looking at Fuzz, I'm sitting beside Fuzz and I got this camera I'm five years old and I decide at that moment, I am going to become an animal internist. So I take that camera and I begin to go around Fuzz and every that I can find to poke that camera in on Fuzz, I poke it in there and I take a picture. So, I stick it up his nostril, click. I stick it in his ear, click. I stick it down his mouth, click. I go all the way around that burrow, if you know what I mean. I'm serious. And we won't go, we won't get any coarser than that. But I used up all the film in that camera, finding out what was going on on the inside of us. And my dad gets the camera and he goes, what happened to all my film? I don't know. I don't know. (coughs) Typical five-year-old answer, right? (coughs) So anyway, needless to say, we didn't have any photos of that that trip. And when we develop the photos, I'll get to that a little bit later. So, before we get to the Word, let me just kind of set up the situation. We've got John, the Apostle John. This is John, who now, when he writes this letter, it's he's, he's well advanced in life. He's probably 70, 80, 90 years old when he writes this letter. And he's up in Ephesus, and he gets wind from the church that Things are going south in the church a little bit, and they're going south because of two things. Number one is there are a group of people in the church that are denying the actual divinity of Jesus Christ. They're saying, yeah, he was a he was a spirit, maybe, he was an apparition. But they're not saying they're denying the fact that that Jesus came and walked with us, walked with John in particular. At the same time, they're getting to the point where they they, they want to be more spiritual, and it's, it's messed up. They want, to, they want to have angels, and they want to see angels moving around in the church, and they want to name the angels. They want more, and sometimes we hear that in church today. We've got to have more. And so John, he's sitting there, and he hears this, and he hears about it, and he says, oh, uh-uh. no, no, we're not having it. We're not having it. John's an old man now. He doesn't have to take anything. He can tell it like it is. And so he begins to craft this letter. Now, before I read you the first part of this letter, I want to point out something. John is, if Jesus had a best friend on the face of the planet when he walked here, it was John. John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Kind Kind of weird in the third person, but that's what he says. John refers to himself as the disciple who laid his head upon Jesus' bread. I mean, this guy is tight. So not only is he fully qualified to say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not having it. But he's also bold enough to say, I'm going to tell you exactly the way it is. So in the New Testament, there are about 5,400, a little bit over 5,400 Greek vocabulary words that are used in the New Testament. Well, John comes out in these three letters that he writes to straighten things out to the church, and he's only going to use 303 vocabulary words. John's not messing around here. John is going to shoot straight. He's going to tell it like it is. So that sets the backdrop for what we're getting ready to to read here. And before we read the word of the Lord, I just wanna take a moment, let's all bow our heads and pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this opportunity, once again, that we have together, together as a community, Lord God, and hear your word, Father. I thank you, Lord God, that your word will be spoken, Lord God, that you will use me and that I'll get out of your way, Father God, and that every heart that hears this word would be prepared to receive exactly what you desire to tell them, Father. Lord, we lift up our youth. We lift up Pastor Shea to you as they travel, Lord God, and ask that you would keep them safe, Lord. And we give this time over to you now, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 So let's jump off into John's first letter. This letter was actually designed to go probably to the church at Ephesus and then to be circulated around, and this is what John says. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen first three and a half verses are one one long run on sentence I mean gee John is coming out and he's like just going for it and most theologians would say these four verses that we just read are enough they're a foundation enough for us to live our Christian life upon right there it's almost like John comes out and says I'm going to straighten you out and he hits boom in four verses he hits a walk off home run I'm done I'm good that's what I'm talking about. But he doesn't stop there. He's going to continue to straighten things out. Now, notice in these four verses, he said, Yo, I was there. I saw the man. I laid upon him. I know who he was. I experienced it. It's almost like if, 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 I told you that I told you about my grandpa Parker, who died 30, 40 years ago, um, and I told you some stories about Grandpa Parker. You would listen to these stories, and you would believe that Grandpa Parker existed. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. I mean, John is doing here in these verses, and they're just as relevant today as they were when they were written to that church in Ephesus, probably in 80 A.D. We need to, we need to receive this we need to say yo Jesus is real Jesus came and he walked with men Jesus is real so let's continue on verse 5 this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light everybody say that with me God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The remainder of that little chapter of 1 John is pretty powerful stuff. But I want to focus today on this concept that John introduces us to and he says, God is life. Now, we don't think, typically, we don't think about John being referring to God as life. We we think about John as being the writer of love. Some people would say that he's the writer of life. But John comes out of the chute in his first letter and declares that God is life. And so that got me to thinking a lot of, of well, why would Why would John do that? Why would he first tee up God in his letter as light? And then several chapters later, he's going to say God is love. And we know those references. So I got to thinking and I said, well, okay, why is that? Well, for one thing, light is definitely consistent with God's character. Makes sense. I mean, light is consistent with God's character. As a matter of fact, if we look in this word that was given to us and we think about how God handles light, it's in the very beginning of the book. The first few verses say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the waters. And God said let there be light, and and there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good. God actually acknowledges the light when he creates it, and says, this light is good. In the rest of the creation, he actually says, he saw that it was good, but he says, the light is good. And in the very back of this book, in in Revelation, the last chapter of the book, it says, Revelation 22, 20, 22, 5, describing the new Jerusalem. Also, this book also written by John the Apostle. It says, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The Lord God gives them light. It's neat. To me, it's neat. So, anyway, I'm thinking, okay, God, I got it. You want to talk about light, but why light? Why do you want me to speak to your people about light this week? And so I prayed about it, got to thinking about it. I understand that God identifies himself as light, but I think that there are three things that God would ask me to share with you today. Only three, praise God. We get to get out and get in the weather. Um... Only three things that God would ask me to share in regards to light with you, His people. The first thing is light as the concept of, 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 well, I'll put it in the church terms, although sometimes I don't like to use church terms. But light as sanctification or purification. Effectively, light really. It's just a fancy way of saying that Jesus wants to deal with things in us that are not pleasing to Him. And He'll use the light to do exactly that. But but when we think about that concept, see, we get uneasy, and I'll tell you why we get uneasy, church, is because a lot of us have, either we've, we've, we've seen those movies, you know, the old movies where they get the bad guy, sometimes the innocent guy, and they throw him in a, a, a little room, and it's got a table in there, and they sit him down in a chair, and the and the police or the detective, they force a light into this guy's face, and they start, you know, yelling at him. you got to fess up. you got to fess up. They begin to grill him. And so, you know, we get uneasy when we start thinking about God the concept of a godly light that would shine in us. Maybe just saying maybe it's because we have that hidden little sin and we know that maybe God would expose that. Maybe we have that sin that we've taken ownership of because we're justified to hold this this sin. It's a justified sin, and I want to keep it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I deserve it. I'm
1: going
0: to keep this one. Everybody knows I deserve it. And God wants to shine a light on that. Maybe we're uncomfortable with, with this whole concept of, of godly light because we've had authority figures in our past somebody maybe a parent or maybe a boss and they have abused that authority to get us to admit to something to confess something that was exactly wrong and and because they have abused that authority we associate that authority with God but John sets the record straight in this in, in this passage see John says no 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 that's not my Jesus. This is not how Jesus is. In Jesus, there is no darkness at all. So, here's the thing. When Jesus deals with something that that he wants to deal with in your life, he is not going to be abusive about it. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to harm you. Jesus is going to do it the way that he does it, and he does it perfectly every time. Amen? Now sometimes that time could be really gentle. Sometimes it could be a little bit harder where He deals with the sin that He wants to take away from our life. It could be a little bit harder. But what it always is is it's always perfect when He's dealing with us. Isn't that cool? It's kind of like this. You know, I did some research on the on net. I had read this, and I wanted to confirm it, so I didn't put it out there. You guys use this technique and then come back to me and say, no, Greg, I, I stayed in the bathroom for three days. But you can put tainted water. It needs to be clear, but it can, be, it can have germs in it. And you can put it in a clear two-liter soda bottle. You don't want to use anything bigger than two liters because the light can't penetrate. You can take that two-liter soda bottle and you can set it out in bright sunlight. And over the course of six hours in bright sunlight, it might take a couple of days if it's cloudy, but over the course of six hours, literally, um, the, um, the the sunlight will purify that water. It will kill the um, salmonella. It'll kill the giardia. It'll kill all kinds of things it can make you sick. At our ranch, we have a system where the water comes out of the well and it gets pumped across this this tube that's about this big, I guess. And in that tube is this really, 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 really bright light. And the water actually runs around that bright light. And as it runs around that bright light, the water gets sterilized so that when it comes into the house, we can use it if there was some kind of germ in our well, we wouldn't have to worry about it. So the light can purify things, and it can purify things in a way that's extremely gentle. So it is with each and every one of us. Jesus is the light, he wants to work on us. Isn't that cool? He's working on us now. And he's gonna do it in a way that is not harmful. He's gonna do it in a way that's not abusive. He's not going to hurt you. Jesus is going to do it in the way that is right. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I wanted to tell you about as far as the light goes, and this is obviously stated in the scripture that we just read, um, the light brings fellowship not only with Jesus, but with fellow believers as well. Let's let's read uh, verses 6 and 7 of 1 John again. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. That's neat. I like it. I'm going to read it from the message version, a paraphrased version of the Bible, and sometimes it brings clarity, especially in a case where John is really beginning to take it up a notch here. So here's what the message version says. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. (laughs) We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light God itself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all our sin. So in, in many ways, what John is writing here is just exactly what we talked about in regards to purification, but he's taking it up another not, notch. And what he wants to say here is, he says, look, I'm going to tell you that if you say that you have fellowship with Jesus Christ, but you continually choose to sin, you're lying. Straight up. It's one of the 303 words that John uses right here. You're a liar. John John is saying if you choose to consistently sin, and you're saying that you have fellowship with Jesus you're lying. Whoa. And everybody got quiet. But in this verse, and I praise God for it, um, there's a significant word, and it's right there at the beginning of verse 7. It says, but. So it Provides a way out of this scenario. And it's so often the case with God, this is the cool thing about God, I love it, is that not only does God make a way out of something, he provides a way out. But he also provides a benefit. It's kind of the, the grace concept that, that James talked about. We get extra. So John is saying here, look, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. It's not anything that you did, but it's everything that Jesus did. And, okay, and if we choose to walk in the light, yay, not only are we going to have fellowship with Jesus, but we get something extra out of it. And the something extra is fellowship with one another. Yay, that's awesome. The Greek word fellowship that is being used here by John is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia means fellowship, yes it does, but there's an implication there that is a little bit stepped up from that. And that means, the implication would be that it's related to an intimate fellowship, but also a pledge type relationship. So that when we talk about koinonia, or the fellowship that John is describing here, we're talking about having fellowship, interaction between ourselves and Jesus, and also intimacy and a pledge between ourselves and Jesus, and likewise, exactly that same thing between each other, us as believers. This is not, brothers and sisters, a Facebook friendship oh no 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 this is not where we put something out there that we want everybody to see because we've kind of carefully crafted the picture we staged the situation look what a good life I am having and I'm going to share it with my so-called friends no huh? that's not what we're talking about here and to be quite honest with you I think the world loses a lot because we don't understand exactly what John is talking about in regards to fellowship. What John is talking about is a deeply committed, firmly rooted, beneficial, and transparent relationship, strong and resilient, strong and resilient, and it's able not only to survive, but to also embrace Words of exhortation and truth when they're spoken in love. This is exactly the kind of relationship that we should have with our spouse. I pray that each and every one of you have a relationship like that with your spouse. My prayer. Listen, I've got a I've got a friend and, and this friend of mine is a believer and we've had an opportunity because of our work to spend huge amounts of time together, and over the course of that time that we've spent together, um, I've come to learn that this friend of mine, he considers, he is very kingdom-minded, he considers the impact on the kingdom of God in almost anything that he he does. So we have developed this fellowship between our, each each other where we can share the most intimate details of our our lives, even even some details of our families, and I know that when I share these types of details, something that is extremely personal with this man, you know, and and maybe it's a struggle that I'm having, I'm not going to be condemned. I'm not going to be condemned, but I'm going to be encouraged, and I know that I'm going to hear the truth, if the truth is what is required for me to be To hear, and I know that whatever I'm struggling with will be lifted up in in, in prayer. And our fellowship with each other here as believers should be exactly like that. In other words, you should be able, because we are all light walkers, you should be able to come to me and share intimate details about your life, concerns, things like that, and me, vice versa. You're a believer. I can share it with you. You're a believer. I can share it with you. You're a believer. I can share it with you, and vice versa. Now, that's not to say that if you come to me and you say, "Yo, you know, Greg, you know this is this is what I'm doing. And if it's something that's not pleasing to God, it's not pleasing in the kingdom, very likely I'm going to tell you exactly about it. I'm not going to encourage you if it's not pleasing to the Lord. But I will tell you the truth, and I will pray either with you, or I will pray about the situation, that God would deal with it. You see, here's what has happened in, in this world today, and this is something that we don't understand about relationships, but this is what John is trying to get us to understand, is that a lot of us want only the love in a relationship, and we don't want the life. Oh, hey, that's, what, anybody hear that? Anybody hear that? Because I thought he was speaking pretty good. That's some good preaching right there. A lot of us want the love in a relationship, but we don't want the life. I mean, I could go on from there. I mean, we want, the, we want the reward. We don't want the work. We want the benefit. We don't want the sacrifice. We want the best life now. We don't want the tribulation. Oh! We want the love, but we don't want the life. No. It's not like that. And that's exactly what John is telling us. John is saying, No a relationship that is good and beneficial, the relationship that you want to be in is characterized by both love and light. Think about it. And so the third point that I want to make here, and uh, I missed this illustration during my last sermon, but what... John tees up with this concept of, of light is, is that he is actually giving us a mission statement. He's given us as believers the reason that we do what we do, the reason that we are still here, the reason that we live and walk on the face of the planet. See, here's, here's the thing. When we leave here today, and we step out through these doors, we step into a world that, for the time being, has been given over to darkness. We step into a dark world. And sometimes we don't understand that. I mean, we just go out and we we go about our business and we don't relate. We don't relate to the fact of how dark it truly is. And all you have to do, brothers and sisters right now, is read the news day by day And you can say, whoa, things are getting bad. It's getting dark out there. It's getting dark out there. I can't believe some of the things that I read anymore. Matter of fact, I'm doing more and more of the kind of culling of the things that I read because, to be quite honest with you, I can't stand it. Whoa. So this is is the charge that John has given us is that we have to be these vessels of light that go out into a dark world, that go out into a workplace that maybe has darkness in it, or goes to a school that has darkness in it, or goes and conducts commerce that has darkness in it, and that we are the bearers of light. Let me tell you how desperate this is. Think about this. Have any of you ever gone to, uh, well... I did it at Carlsbad Caverns. uh, But some of the caverns where you go down into the, you go down into the caverns and they make you sit down and then they turn all the lights off. Have any of y'all ever experienced that? I did it at Carlsbad Caverns when I was a little guy. um, And I remember how, I still remember how dark it truly was. I mean, I did this. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There is not a single photon. You all, brothers and sisters, are the ones, for now, that are charged to light up that level of darkness that exists out there. Whoa. Wow. Major charge. Let's see how, how Jesus puts it. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, it's interesting to me when I read that passage, and this is not what Jesus, I'm going to tell you what Jesus doesn't say. What Jesus doesn't say is, okay, brothers and sisters, you are becoming the light of the world. One day, you're going to be the light of the world. Someday soon, you're going to be ordained, and you're going to be the light of the world. No, what does he say? You are. You are we have to take this and we have to take it right now we have to pick up this mantle this baton that has been given to us and we need to do it right now as a matter of fact the world desperately needs it right now Paul writing in Ephesians 5 here's what he says for you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light we were once darkness but praise God we are light in the Lord now And Peter, in his first letter, writes it this way. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I love that picture that we have been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. We need to take that picture and really begin to get our minds around it because not only is it an awesome picture, it will help us live our lives the way that Jesus wants us to live our lives, but even more importantly, it will help us do what we're called to do when we go out into that dark world. See, when I read these passages, I'm sitting there thinking, well, in every case, it talks about we are are, and we are called. And so to me, the implication is very easy. Really, it's all about the testimony that each and every one of us has. We have been called out of darkness... Jesus did it, and we can tell other people, listen, 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 this is what Jesus did for me. You ain't even going to believe it. You ain't even going to believe it. Jesus did this for me. So that you and I all walk, we're all walking Gospels when we go out there. Amen? Isn't that cool? Conceptually, that's really cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. Joshua, you can go ahead and use the picture. <clears throat> Some of you will recognize this gentleman. Um, this guy's name was Muhammad Ada, and he died on September 11, 2001. You've probably seen this picture, and there are a total of 19 photographs just exactly like this, but as I prepared for this sermon, I looked at this picture, and the reason I wanted to use it, although I have a hard time actually even looking at it, is that when you look at this man's eyes, you can see that Really, there's nothing there but darkness, and so it is with the other 18 photographs of the hijackers that did what they did on 9/11, 2001. You can go ahead and put that down. I don't want to look at it anymore. This is a dark world that we're that we encounter every day, and we are light bearers, and so when we leave this place. What we ought to portray is we ought to portray exactly what Jesus has done for us and how Jesus has called us to be his light in this world. We should never have a photograph. I mean, I've had some pretty bad pictures taken in terms of like driver's license and stuff like that. But I can tell you that I've never had a picture where that darkness was in my eyes, at least since Jesus decided to light up my life. I'd encourage you, brothers and sisters, that you know people around you, once you get to the point where people are going, what is it that's so special about you? Why do you have the joy that you have? Why do you have the peace that, that you have? Why do your eyes light up the way that they light up? How are you able to withstand under this kind of pressure and still, praise God, because I have light. Isn't that cool? That's my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters. And now um, I'm gonna I want to pray before we leave, and, and I would ask every person to bow their head, close their eyes, because I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to this word that God has given me to speak. I want to give you the opportunity to respond in two areas, every every head bowed, every eye closed. And if the first part of this message spoke to you, and that is that, yeah, you would say, Greg, there is something that I've kind of kept hidden or something that I've taken ownership of that I know is not pleasing to the Lord God. And today I want to declare that Jesus is going to come alongside me and take that away. If you would just, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, you just stick up your hand real quick and put it right back down. And we'll pray in, into that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. And if it's the second part of this message, and that is that, that with every head bowed, every eye remains closed, that you know, Greg, I, I heard you preaching about Jesus and I know that that apparently that maybe I haven't walked in full fellowship with him because I've embraced darkness. But I'm ready to lay that down, and I'm ready to step into the light, and I'm ready to become a Jesus follower this morning. If you would just stick your hand up really quickly and put it right back down, we'll pray into that as well. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray together. I want to declare a prayer over each and every one of you. Lord God, I just thank you for this word, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord God, for the obedient people here that have heard that word and and that they have said, yes, I, I want to lay that thing down. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're so faithful to come alongside them and, and very gently, not abusive, but very gently in a way that never hurts, that you're gonna help them lay that down, Lord God, so that they be- can become a deeper fellowship with you, Lord. And Lord, for the folks that said, that today's the day that I'm gonna make a declaration to walk in complete fellowship with in the light with Jesus. I thank you for that as well, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, that that you are so good and faithful, Lord God, that that you will honor that declaration this morning, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Lord God, I, I just lift up your people and the people that hear this word, Father, I thank you, Father God, that your word is, is truth to us, Father, and that you would use us as we leave this place, as we go out into the, the rain this morning, Father God. We praise you for the rain, but as we go out there, Lord, that we will be your bearers of life, your vessels of light to a dark world that so desperately needs it, Father. We give you praise and honor and glory for all that you are, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to deal with each of us in an individual basis, Lord. Thank you for it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Okay, so I had a request, and, 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 and rightfully so. So I got to tie it up. So, pictures of fuzz. It turns out that none of those photographs were exposed to the light whatsoever. <laughs> and so, when, and back in that day, um, when it was time to develop the photographs, it was quite expensive to do it. So, the whole roll of film. All black. I had to fess up to my dad. Um, my dad handled it in a way that I can say was truly appropriate and pretty typical. <laughs> and it involved a leather belt. <laughs> but anyway, and, and ultimately, just to answer your question, Fuzz got off the ranch onto a highway, got run over. He was full of darkness, isn't He was full of darkness. Thank you.